Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to a Final Four edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition, I got a couple conversations with the two national championship game finalist head coaches, John Beeline of Michigan and Villanova's Jay Wright. But before we get to that, let's look very quickly back at the Saturday night national semifinals. First in the first game, Michigan defeating Loyola Chicago 69-57. to uh, Look, this was a tale of two halves. Loyola Chicago was the better team in the first half. They were up 29-22. But then the script was flipped, certainly by Michigan, and you had Mo Wagner and Charles Matthews basically take this game into their own hands. Charles Matthews making something happen. Mo Wagner making sure that he his presence was felt. I mean, he finished with 24 and 15, hit a couple of big threes, finished 10 of 16. Matthews was 7 of 12. Those are experienced guys that ended up taking this game away from Loyola Chicago. So Michigan goes to its second national championship game in five seasons. They lost to Louisville in 2013. As for Villanova, they absolutely destroyed Kansas, 95 to 79. But Kansas didn't play horrible. Villanova made 18 threes. That's a record. They took 40. Seven different Villanova Wildcats made a three-pointer, including seven, combined seven, by their two bigs, Amari Spellman and Eric Pascal. That's pretty impressive. Uh, This was a Villanova team that got out to uh, a huge lead. They were up by 22 at one point in the second half, and Kansas just couldn't climb back at that juncture. So in advance of what you're going to hear from the two head coaches, what has to happen? Well, first of all, Villanova's going to have to help Michigan. If they shoot like that, it's over. They're not going to lose this basketball game. If it goes late, they make their free throws. Um, they were 5-7 of seven in the game against Kansas, but they're tough to beat because in the last couple minutes, we've seen this in the five previous games in the NCAA tournament, they extend leads because they can make their free throws once they get fouled. Their last tight game was against Providence in the Big East tournament title game. Michigan, they're going to need Xavier Simpson to play great defensively. He didn't play well offensively at all. He was 0-6 and had four turnovers in the game against Loyola. Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman's going to have to play better. He used two of eleven. That can't happen. Jordan Poole, excuse me, is going to have to give him something off the bench. Duncan Robinson was two of six on threes. He's going to have to make some transition threes. And of course, Matthews and Wagner are going to have to play like they did against Loyola. They're going to have to make threes, defend the three, and really keep Villanova off the glass, especially those bigs like Spellman, because he can flush it with veracity. Those are the keys going into Monday's national championship game. But I want to get to our guests. Up next here on March Madness 365, I speak with Michigan head coach John Beeline. All right, John, I'm going to go way back because we've done this before, but we haven't done this part. You are one of nine kids, correct? That's right. And you were eighth in the order? Eighth. Mill worker, apple farmer? Yeah, he did that. He did that as a hobby. He, okay. Yeah, yeah, did that as a hobby. So you're one of nine. How much teamwork was building within uh, the nine? That there was a lot of teamwork in that. I mean, there was a lot of teamwork because my mother was one of thirteen, and my uh, my dad was an only child. He, he had no idea, you know, that what uh, what went on in these type of families. 
No, but there, it was round, cutting the grass and doing the, the You know, we never had a dishwasher. The girls would do the dishes. The boys would have the, the garbage and the chores. It went like clockwork. I mean, it was like clockwork. Or, you know what, if you didn't do it, you were in big trouble. Wait till your father gets home. You know, it was, was the thing that was said many times. But we're so, I'm so blessed. My, my, uh, my mother and father taught us such great values. I mean, it's just incredible, the values that we all learn, that I, I hope that we can get our children to learn. I think that's um, – and it was, there wasn't – I mean, we never, we never went on a vacation ever. There was never a vacation. Uh, my dad would take a week, week off of work, and we would work. That was the time we'd get the fruit trees better, and he'd be burning fields and getting it so we could plant more trees. It was, it was great. It was great. So you couldn't pick that team the way you can pick teams now. Yeah, right. How did that team work together? The family. Yes. There, there, certainly, it wasn't seamless. I mean, there was a lot of fights. I mean, my brother Joe and I were really close. We probably got in a fight every day. I mean, there's probably a, some type of disagreement. My mother used to say you'd, you both would fight with a stick if you, if you could. And my sisters, six sisters, so they, they didn't always get along either. But we all realized that the family was, was much more important, and everybody did their job. And it was, it was just a wonderful life growing up, uh, whether they, the most, of my, most of their time they were, in the fa- they were in the city. But when I was the eighth, we moved out to a farm and, uh, and out, in the, out in Niagara County and near Lake Ontario, right almost on Lake Ontario. Everybody just got along most of the time. And so when you look back on that, I mean, how much had that upbringing and that many people yeah. around you on a constant basis, how much did that define you? Well, I, I think they sports was a big part of both my mother and father's life. That they that my my mother's uh, brothers had all been spectacular, great athletes, and they were all, and it happened that all three of them were coaches. So you can see where I was watching uh, what was going on, and that was where my eye drew to. I just wanted the keys to a gym like my like my cousins had, and uh, so it it just they put us in the, this. Uh, whether it was with my faith or whether they put us in position to be in position to do what we wanted to do by just opening doors for us. But they didn't babysit us. You know, there's an old saying, Andy, you know, some parents prepare the path for their children. Some parents prepare their children for the path. My parents prepared us for the path. So as you've constructed these teams, because I'm always fascinated how you've done this, especially this team, how much do you look back and in making sure these pieces fit, because it's a diverse yeah, group of, yeah, fit, yeah. of pieces, much like probably, I'm sure, yeah. your family was very yeah, diverse yeah. in interests and, yeah. uh, and all that. I, I think what you do is you have a respect for the different chemistry, the bif- different elements that make something work, right? And when you have such a happy family that I grew up in, you see that everybody brought different things. You have different things happen in your life. You know, I, I, we went through, uh, you know, 12 months with my brother in the middle of Vietnam. <laughs> you know, those days are just like, um, there's such, when you think what your parents go through um, during those times, it's just like, you look back, and I can imagine if Patrick, Andy, Mark were over there during that time. That makes a team like glued. That makes a family glued. And you realize that adversity Adversity in a season is really the good stuff. And I think that's what made my family so strong, whether my sisters, my brothers, everything, everyone. 50 years later, that still triggers yeah. something in you. Why? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I think that it's it's something that you learn. 
And I told this to Tracy and Tracy Wilson from CBS, and it made me it get me get teared up again. Is that we do so much uh, it, adversity when your parents come through the depression and they watch so many of their family die in World War II, and it's like they're teaching you what you really need to know about life. We make our life so easy for kids today, and it's not necessarily a good thing. And when you have those type of worries and you have that type of, you look at the present. And you, you just realize how blessed you are. It really allows you to keep working and keep doing more and more every day to le- really live a purposeful life. The connectivity that you've been able to connect with these guys on this group, where does that come from? I, I, I think that I've always tried to, to stay up with things. I, 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 love, I love music, first of all. It, it, my playlist is expansive, and I, I love all kinds of music. Really, country. Like right now, I'm really, I re- really like some of the country stuff. But I go way back to, you know, when 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 some when my uh, all my peers were listening to the Beatles and Jethro Tull. I was listening to Temptations and the Four Tops and the Jackson Five. And so I, I've tried to really value uh, of keeping up with what the young kids are listening to today, and whether whether it is country. Or whether it's uh, Andy, I once told uh, Russell Barnes at Lemoyne College in 19—I uh, uh, think it was like 19, 1987—when I heard the first rap music. That stuff's not going to last. I'm going to tell you that rap's not going to last. <laughs> and here it is, 30 years later. I've just tried to stay attuned to the kids, to stay young with them, and assistants are always doing helping me too. You're an incredible preparer, if you will, in terms of your prep work. You didn't have a lot of time for this Villanova yeah. team. Uh, 18 threes that they made, yep. an NCAA record. How do you get you guys ready for what they're about to face on Monday night? There's a process. Farm boy again. You, you, you got to get the hay. The, 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 you you got to make hay while the sun shines. And then you got to put those bales of hay in the barn. And so uh, there's 100 bales we probably got to put in. We probably put in 20 this morning already. And then there's another 20 and another 20. You just keep putting those bales of hay in there so that you're ready to eat when the, game, when, uh, the horses are ready to eat. And so we end up just uh, taking it bit by bit, 30-minute segment. Today there'll be another 60-minute segment on the court, another 30 minutes, another 30 minutes. And gradually through osmosis and just the growth of these kids, and so much of it is redundant, but th- there's that one element that uh, Jordan, it's not as redundant to Jordan Poole as it is to Muhammad Ali. So we just continue to grow it away, and all of a sudden it's game time, and we say all we can do is all we can do, and all we can do is enough. And we'll have said we done, have done it. Mo Wagner and Charles Matthews played very well yeah. in the semi. Who else has to play well for you guys to win Monday night? I don't think I can't point anything. We need outliers again. We need, we need somebody. Jaron Simmons made a big shot last night. Jordan Poole made a big shot. They haven't done that in a couple games. And so there's going to be outliers out there. But I, I think that collectively as a group, we got to make shots, and we really got to guard them. This is an offensive machine, and we got to guard them. We've done that really well several times this year. We just got to do that again. Thanks, John. Thanks. Coming up here on March Madness 365, my conversation with Villanova head coach Jay Wright. On the sideline, especially like after Chris Jenkins shot, you can be very calm and cool and collected. And yet your teams over the last couple years especially have been one of the more physical groups that we've seen in college basketball. How do you instill that? Well, first, Andy, I'm probably not as calm as I get credit for. (laughs) 
I don't know how that works, and, and I'm happy I do, but I'm, I'm much more intense than, than calm. And, and, and we're very intense in practice. You know, we, we kind of look at the time that we step on the court in practice. Once we step on the court, it's, it's all business, and, and, it's, and it's intense. And, and there's a fun to that for us. We try to define, like, what is fun to us? It's, it's competing and being intense and being physical. And then off the court is a different kind of fun. So the arc of this, you know, the first three years at Villanova, you're not as successful. Looks like it could go sideways. Uh, then you get to the Final Four in 09, and then there was a dip again. How concerned were you during that, that sort of second dip when you had to sort of restart this group again and reinstitute maybe that physicality that defined you guys? Yeah, I was, I was concerned after, um, I, think it was, I think it was the 11-12 season, um, and I could see we just weren't going in a good direction. We were actually winning. We were winning a lot of games, and I just I could tell the culture w- w- wasn't going in a good direction. And, and and I was concerned because in college basketball you don't you you don't necessarily get a second chance. You know, once once it slides, it affects recruiting, it affects perception, it affects the alumni. You can't get it back. So I, I knew that was a possibility, but we just we just said, hey, if we're going to go down, we're not going to go down. Um, with with the culture going down, we're going to go down with a good culture. Maybe we can't get it going basketball wise. We're going to get this culture right. And thank God, Ryan Archidiakon and Daniel Chefu came in, and we got it going in the right direction again. And Jalen Brunson. Soon after that, you know, we've talked a lot about him. His focus, laser focus, whether it's in the classroom or you know certainly on the court. His father, Rick Brunson, you know, NBA guy, played at Temple. What did you see when you first saw Jalen about how he would fit into this culture? Well, when I first saw Jalen, I thought he was too small to play at Villanova. And, and I knew Rick and, 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 you know, I knew of Jalen since he was a baby because Rick was living in Hempstead at, at, by Hofstra when I was at Hofstra. So then uh, I went back another time and, and I saw him playing with a Mecca Okafor on the same AAU team. I said, wait a minute, this kid's, I don't care how small he is. And then I started to see he might be the best player we've ever recruited. Um, but I saw a maturity and a basketball IQ far beyond his years. And that's really what separates him. His, he's got incredible talent, but his basketball IQ and his maturity as a, as a man is, is really that of, of a, maybe a 10-year NBA player. So in the victory Saturday night, you have 18 threes, seven different guys hit them. Your two bigs have seven. Uh, when you recruited those guys, Amari Spellman, Eric Paschal, um, how much did you see that ability in them to stretch it out and make threes to really complete this to where you could go in all five directions and someone's going to make a three? Um, I thought it was a possibility, and that's, why we liked, that's what we liked about Eric, and that's what we liked about Omari. Um, and and we, we didn't know how long it would take. You know, um, we've been very fortunate. And, and Eric's had a real gradual improvement, and it's it's been very impressive. Hard work on his part. Omari's has has really come this second half of the season, and um, again, a lot of hard work and, and patience on his part. Because early early in the year, he struggled not not just shooting the ball from three, but defensively and, and, and just in terms of the intensity of playing every possession in college. Now is at a point where, you know, we don't want to take him out of the game ever. 
So Bill Self said after the game last night, he's a little shell-shocked, that you guys over the last, I don't know if it's three years, four years, five years, really the benchmark in college basketball. You guys have been maybe the best team in college basketball. The record certainly speaks to that. How did this happen? Well, first, that, that means a lot coming from Bill because we've always looked at the Kansas program and Bill in terms of winning regular season championships as that's a benchmark for us. That that consistency of how you play during the regular season is really defines where your program is to us. But we know fans define you by the, the NCAA tournament. So it really came from us looking at, you know, how are we going to play night in and night out? What kind of people do we need? How do we want our culture to be? So we play uh, true to our core values night in and night out throughout the length of a season. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get past the second round, which we haven't a lot. But it does mean you're going to bring a certain consistency every night. And if you can take that into the real world, into your life, that you're going to bring it at a consistent level every day, that's going to make you the most successful you can be. How much of a common thread is there with your two teams, Michigan and Villanova, in that older group developed, not really one and done? You know, you've got guys that have become stars, potential NBA players that probably weren't when they got on campus. Very similar. And, and we run into each other in recruiting. John has East Coast ties. Um, for, so he'll come back for that reason, but also the same kind of same kind of guys that, that um, you know that want to be in college, want to be pros, want to be coached, want to want to develop. They, they they see that I've got the potential to be an NBA player, but I got to work to get there. I'm not I'm not just going to get there on my pure physical abilities. Um, so we I think we're very similar in in uh, the way we approach it. I think John's a much better offensive coach than me, to be honest. They run. Every time I watch his teams play, I love the stuff they run. I want to steal stuff. Wagner was a difference maker. I mean, he flipped the switch on the game against Loyola. How do you defend him? You're right, Andy. He did flip the switch in the second half. But in the first half, he kept Michigan in it because they couldn't get him the ball. But he went an offensive rebound in it and killed Loyola and kept Michigan close enough so that in the second half, when John adjusted and got uh, Wagner the ball and he started scoring they were close enough that they could pull away uh, but I thought his first half offensive rebounding was incredible look we've had some one and dones that have won a, won a national championship you know I think back to 12 Kentucky or 15 Duke but in the last couple of years in the final four as you've been involved in <laughs> last season it's been a lot of veteran group North Carolina a couple of years in a row Gonzaga you guys now Michigan uh, what does that tell you 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 can see the guys in college basketball that are one and done, and you're looking at their talent, and you're just saying, that guy is going to be a great pro. But as a freshman, he might not be as effective a player in the college game as a junior or senior. Um, some guys are, but a lot of them, you're looking at the fact that in two or three years in the NBA, that guy's going to be great. But right now, this junior or senior is more effective with his teammates than that young freshman is. You know, Jay, you said on Saturday night, you don't think about, you know, the fact that you could be, you know, in position to win your second national championship in three seasons. But when you knew that you had Brunson back, Mikhail Bridges, obviously you saw it in practice, but we maybe didn't see his blossoming. You knew the talent you had in Omari Spellman. While you may not have said it out loud, how much did you believe this was a possibility that you could be playing on Monday night? You know, I, I didn't think about – I really didn't think about playing on Monday night. I really didn't. Um, I'm starting to realize that probably Jalen and Mikhail did back then. Um, but they know enough that we, we're always concentrating on 
on just getting better each day, so they probably didn't talk about it. But I'm getting the sense they probably were thinking that way. I was just looking at one day at a time, let's keep getting better. I was looking at how young Lamari was. I was looking at how young Dante DiVincenzo was playing three freshmen, you know, how are we going to get them better? So I really didn't think about being at this spot. I'm thrilled. I'm a little surprised. Not as surprised at the end here as I would have if you would have asked me back in November. And last thing, Jay, since the Big East tournament title game, you guys have won by double figures in these last five. I mean, there have been some close games, but then you stretch it out. How do you explain the way you guys have had that second gear in the last three weeks? I think we're just getting better defensively each game. That's important. Uh, we're getting better at rebounding the ball. Uh, and we, we continue to improve. Like, we want to make improvement before this game against Michigan. We, we want to watch film and see where we didn't um, know the scouting report, where we let guys beat us off the dribble and, and try to improve that. And then the other part is we're a good free-throw shooting team. So at the end, even if it's a five-point game, if you start fouling, we've been making free-throws. So that's what kind of makes like the West Virginia game and the Texas Tech game. They were much closer than the score might have indicated. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, buddy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We'll be back next week to put a bow on the 2017-18 season and look ahead to 2018-19. Once again, thanks for listening. 